chapter 6. John 6, verses 35 through 40. And God's word says this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Think about that. Please be seated and let's pray. Lord, one more time, we're reminding ourselves, of course, reminding each other that nothing good can come of this sermon, this portion of our worship service without your Holy Spirit's activity in our hearts where we are. And so we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Driving in yesterday morning, had the men's group at 9 o'clock, Thought I'd hit ShopRite early. I'd gotten Costco the day before as I buy it. This is another shameless plug for, for Labor Day at our house. Going to ShopRite to get all that great food for the Labor Day thing. And I thought I'll get there before it starts, uh, before the men's study, and that way I can uh, beat the traffic maybe because I bet it's going to get busy. Did what I normally do when I hop in the car to drive somewhere, what's been my custom lately. Tuned in on my satellite radio, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville station. They were playing Jimmy all morning. And normally they do that at certain times. They have the Buffett buffet at this hour and this hour, and it's a whole hour of Jimmy. But they were just playing Jimmy yesterday morning. And I heard something I hadn't heard La Bamba that switched into Guantanamera, which I love because uh, it's a, about a Cuban girl. Um, and, and I just listened, and it was just like easy going, Jimmy. And, and I walked in, I said, I wonder what that's all about. Uh, why did they switch their format or something? Walked in, saw Claudia and, and Armin at the store and, and talked to them and, and a little bit, and that was kind of nice. And got my stuff and came back out to my car, hit my radio to tie it in with my sound system and all that, and it said, Remembering Jimmy Buffett. And I said, oh, no. Oh, no, something's happened. And I cursed in the DJ uh, through tears, if you haven't heard yet, and I'm quickly looking at all of that. And... um, 
It's not normal. Paula said to me about a month ago as I was cranking up the Jimmy Buffett at home, and she said, you're going to be sad when that old guy dies, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. Picture a 16-year-old kid at Grandview Park Baptist School uh, copying Jimmy Buffett lyrics and giving them to my creative writing teacher and telling her this is the best poetry ever written. I had to take a few verses out because it was a Christian school. Um, So I I, I quoted the ones I knew she would like and approve of. Um, Moving then my senior year to Western Iowa. And uh, the music in those days, I'm going to show my age here. Everybody was talking about the new Led Zeppelin album that they didn't like in Through the Outdoor because it was um, not like the old Led Zeppelin albums. And I liked it because it wasn't like the old ones. And people were talking about Neil Young's Rust Never Sleeps. And then Bob Dylan came out with You Gotta Serve Somebody. And I wasn't uh, affected by that yet because I wasn't into Bob Dylan yet. But everybody was talking about this weird kid that moved there that liked this goofy guy named Jimmy Buffett with his Volcano album. And I go down to Pensacola to go to college and there's Jimmy. He was born in Pascagoula and raised in Mobile. And he's singing about Biloxi and, and these romantic name places on the Gulf Coast. And get out of college and riding around as, as in my first gig as a potato chip salesman in my Frito-Lay truck. And, and uh, singing along with his album, The Last Mango in Paris. And, uh, and then uh, Flora Days and those things. A few years later, married, medical crisis in our lives and driving back at 80 miles an hour to try to get to the emergency room from Chattanooga, Tennessee to Pensacola, Florida and stopping at a gas station and they have those racks of uh, cassette tapes, you know, that you take, takes you two hours to unwind them all and, and, and wrap all that cellophane off of them. And, and uh, in those days, they didn't have energy drinks. Uh, they just had coffee and no-dose pills. And the album, One Particular Harbor, uh, I saw that and I bought that and just played that as loud as a 26-year-old could play it as fast as I could drive while Paul was laying there on the seat and we're trying to get to the hospital. And, and it just all of my life, if there's been one soundtrack that's predominant in my life, it's that. And you go, well, what are people saying? What are people saying? Go online, read, read some tributes. Maybe there's some fellow people kind of like you that were affected by, by this. And you go to the wrong websites and you read people say, well, he politically, he raised money for so-and-so. He was this, good riddance, glad he's gone. He was a waste. I bet he, you know, and you just go, wait a minute. Wait a minute, and, and am I ever guilty of this too? Uh, almost celebrating the death of somebody after you've reduced them to just their politics or something. What do we do when people die? Bill Richardson died last night. Who was Bill Richardson? Oh, he had something to do with politics. Are you guys glad Bill Richardson died? Is the world a better place because Bill Richardson exited Earth and went to eternity? 
Well, wait, was he a Democrat or a Republican? Then I'll tell you if I'm glad or if the world's a better place. No. Ask not for whom the bell tolls. The bell tolls for you. I preached a sermon one time, and I referenced seeing somebody um, just looking on the Internet. This is in a galaxy. How does that go? It was long ago in a galaxy far, far away. So you don't know the players in this. Um, And so don't even try. But preached a sermon one time. And I talked about how this person who was, um, oh, they were a rabble rouser. And and the people posting the results uh, posted it, I guess, as poetic justice or something. But you see an interview with this guy and he's all fired up about something. And then later on, he's dead on the street. And people are saying, Good riddance. And I said, don't celebrate death. Death is a sad thing. And someone calls and says, Pastor, you missed the point. Uh, Doesn't the Bible say precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints? And you're saying death's a bad thing. No, death's a good thing. Uh, Well, you missed it, buddy. You're not hearing what I'm trying to say. Isn't death our enemy? Didn't death enter the world when sin entered the world? And isn't it a a sad thing when a human being that there'll never be one like them again dies? Yeah, but not a Christian. Well, I know that. I've done 50 or 60 or however many funerals in my day back at... Back at the big church, we had a senior pastor who was allergic to funerals, and I did the funerals. And when I knew it was a Christian or a professing Christian in somebody, I love that passage that says, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But do you know what? It's still sad. It's still sad. Celebrate death. We're going to get there in John, and we're going to see Jesus weeping outside of Lazarus's tomb. Jesus, who knew exactly what he was going to do, surrounded by people weeping at the death of a loved one. Shortest verse in the Bible, but certainly not the shortest of in import. Jesus wept. Jesus goes in to Jerusalem on Holy Week. He looks down at, at, at the city. He stops amidst all the pageantry and the pomp, and he stops and he looks down and he goes, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wish I could gather you under me like a mother hen gathers her chicks under her. Jesus is walking up the hill, carrying that cross up there, not just to physically die himself after all of the the torture and everything, but to bear the wrath of God on himself for the sins of his people. And he's carrying it, and the women are walking behind weeping for him. And he stops that, and he says, don't weep for me. You weep for yourselves. Listen, it's a fallen world. Death 
can be your friend as a believer when the Lord takes you, that you don't have a death wish. You let the Lord be in charge of those things. Don't ever celebrate the death of anyone. Oh man, what's it going to be like when Trump dies? And what, what are people going to say? And how are they going to celebrate if they hate him? Conversely, what's it going to be like when, you know, pick somebody, Obama or Biden or somebody on the other, Pelosi? What are wicked people going to say and how are they going to celebrate and say the world is better off? You're Christians. You hurt for the world. Have opinions, yes. Have opinions. Have political opinions. If you're free and can vote, uh, then have opinions. Even if you vote not to vote sometimes, that's between you and God. (laughs) That same creative writing teacher I gave those Jimmy Buffett lyrics to, one time I just wrote her name in because I couldn't, uh, on one of the offices because I thought both candidates were so bad. (laughs) Uh, So a little correlation my vote. I voted for a woman for president, and she would have been a good one. Uh, But listen, you, when you look at the world, you Christians, Jesus came to bring life. We're going to get there, uh, John 10. The whole John is, is, is full of this. I came that you might have life and have it to the full. The thief came to steal and kill and destroy. I came to bring you life. And right now, this morning, oh, I almost left this out. I, Tim Keller, pastor in New York City, our denomination, did some great things. People listened. They heard the gospel. Did some things. Uh, had some opinions and some some emphases in areas that, that I wouldn't necessarily do. Uh, but godly man, used by God. I'm going to even say great man. He dies, and somebody writes some from a Christian group writes in their little internet chat group. I wonder if he's changed his opinion on hell by now. Well, wait a minute. His opinion on hell was orthodox anyway. They were probably confusing him with somebody like a John Stott. But what a wicked thing to say. What an arrogant thing to say. When people are weeping and dying. When people are crying because somebody died, you cry with them or walk away. I know we can't take on ourselves the emotional weight of every death we hear about. You can't take on the grief of every single family who lost someone in that Hawaii fire. You don't have the capacity. People publish the statistics of of, uh, this weekend, so many people were shot in this major city and, and killed. And they're not doing it to celebrate. They're doing it, I think, to point out that there's trouble and that these are lives, but other people can look at that, and they do, and they say, I'm now desensitized. All that tells me is don't go to that particular city. (laughs) That's what we say. Um, There is a grief that is uh, a sadness. 
when human beings die. There will never be another one again. And what the church is all about when we're doing our job right is to say, no, we are believers in life. We are for life. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. We talked about it last week. We'll talk about it this morning. And we're going to expand on Jesus being the bread of life uh, in the next week or, or possibly two. Three things about Jesus as the bread of life. Three sayings in these five verses that Jesus gave about life and being the bread of life. The first is a saying about himself. The second is a saying about those who come to him. And the third is a saying about God the Father's will regarding him and those who come to him. The first saying of Jesus about himself, it's in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There is one appointed food for the souls of everyone who receives Christ. One appointed food. Just like back in the days of manna. Go get your manna. Or what's on the side? Is there a salad? Is there a, is there a dessert? What can I order along with this manna to garnish it up? No, you get manna and it's good. And you get as much manna as you need every day. There's one food and only one for the Christian. Jesus Christ is the bread of life. It's about Jesus Christ. Didn't we pray? Give us this day our daily bread, as Jesus taught us to pray. How did they use bread? What's bread in the New Testament? What is bread in the world? Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, our sustenance. What we need. Had a buddy in seminary. Peter Siawe. He was from Liberia. His family was in exile on the Ivory Coast. And, and we were all, were all praying that the country was at war. Um, <laughs> side story. One time... The power went out. Uh, An ice storm hit Jackson, Mississippi, and the power is out. And lo and behold, our little unit of of units, five or six of us, were the only ones, whether it's the main campus or the campus housing, that had power. So we were having people come stay in our house and all that, people with their kids. We had a full house uh, while they were working to get the power back on. And Peter was over there in the uh, single housing because his family wasn't with him yet. I called him and I said, Peter, are you doing okay? Do you need to come over? He goes, oh, I'm doing okay. He says, but I feel bad for these American students. He says, the college brought food out because it was going to go bad. And so it was, they brought it out to thaw it out. And he says, and the students are complaining about the food the college gave them. He said, in my village, the soldiers came to town and shut off the power. And it's been off for the last three years. One time, we would ask Peter to come over for for meals, and a lot of times he would come. Sometimes he would say no, and I thought, well, maybe he's just trying to be in solidarity with his wife and kids, or maybe, I don't know. But I asked him one time, Peter, well, I was a pretty good cook. 
You're missing out on a good meal, my favorite meal tonight. Why won't you come? He says, in my country, we have a saying, if you eat rice uh, during the day, you don't eat again. Give us this day our daily rice, apparently. But rice is the substance, the daily bread. You have enough to eat, you eat. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. I am enough. Not only that, I am more than enough. We're going to get to this later on about the rich food that Isaiah talks about. But Jesus is the bread of life. There were other items on the table when Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper. But he chose these two elements to, to, for us as we do this on a regular basis, weekly at, at this church. Um, the wine and the bread. This is my body broken for you as he gave them the bread. Jesus says in this verse, I'm the bread of life. And I want to remind us and tell us, uh, your soul's need is more vital than your body's need. Your body needs some bread, but your soul, uh, boy, that's the one that lasts forever. It needs some spiritual bread. And I hope you're never forced to make a choice. But if you are, what do you choose? Well, if you're of sound mind, you'll choose the spiritual bread. It's the food for everyone. When I read this, I emphasized the whoever, whoever, whoever part. Did that on purpose. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is not just for the people from whom Christianity sprung, not just for the Jewish people. It's for the Jewish people, but not just the Jewish people. It's not just for a certain economic class of people. Some of our best music and our most wonderful things we can find are the hymns composed by slaves, slaves in America. We know how bad it was. No, we don't know how bad it was. But we, when, we, when we look, we see how bad it was. Uh, they looked to Jesus, so many of them, for their spiritual sustenance. And they were given that. People from upper echelons of society realized that they might have been rich, but they were poor. They also looked to Jesus for their spiritual sustenance. And there was a place at God's table for them also. Both sexes, not just a man thing or a woman thing, but for all people. Yeah, I say this verse, I can't help. I get on this topic and there's one verse that comes to the forefront of my mind that that should probably come to yours or probably does come to yours. In Christ, there's no male or female, no Greek or Jew, no bond or free. All the categories, whoever, whoever, whoever. And we are happy, aren't we, to help people that have a presenting need. That cup of cold water in Jesus' name, that visit in Jesus' name, those needs that people have, 
But boy, we understand that if that's all we did as a church was run around and fill food banks and things like that that are good and help people with counseling services, things that are good, and never, ever told anybody about Jesus. Boy, and we know Jesus, and we don't do that. What are you going to do on Judgment Day? And you're, you're, you're part of the sheep, and, and Jesus says, enter my rest. And you see them, and they go, man, you gave me all that stuff on earth. I can't even bring it with me on my way to eternity without Christ. Why didn't you give me the real bread while you were giving me the other bread? Our thoughts as we contemplate a passage like this, if we are Christians, must be, how can I properly present to people that what they really need is Christ alone? And that's what Jesus said about himself in these five verses. What did he say about those who come to him? You should love this. If you're somebody who's kind of timidly tiptoed in uh, and you said, okay, I'll be a Christian, but if God ever finds this out about me, he's going to kick me out. Let this reassure you. What did he say? Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never cast them out. First of all, what does it mean to come to Christ? We talk in our our language, you know, we're going to have a real... uh, Boss will call everybody in. He goes, all right, guys, it's been slack around here, and we're going to have a real come-to-Jesus meeting right now. Come-to-Jesus meeting. You've heard that phrase. Well, he's meaning like a serious meeting. He's, but that's not what coming to Jesus means biblically. What does it mean to come to Jesus? When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, whoever comes to me, I'm not going to cast him out. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Good definition from, from old Bishop Ryle from late 1800s. Listen to this. I'll read it as slowly as I, as I can. That movement of the soul which takes place when a person feeling his sins and finding out that he cannot save himself. So it's a movement of the soul. A person is aware of their own sins that have separated them from God He knows he can't save himself. What is coming to Christ? Well, he hears of Christ. He applies to Christ. Uh, Old way of saying, but we we would say in ours, (laughs) he fills out an application, God, please take me, whatever, applies to Christ. He hears about Christ, he comes to Christ, he, he makes his application, he applies to Christ. He trusts in Christ. He lays hold on Christ and leans all his weight on Christ for salvation. When this happens, a person is said in scripture language to come to Christ. That's coming to Christ. So it's not some flipping, I think I'll try church for a couple weeks, or I think I'll, you know, do something, you know, for Holy Week, or I'll do this or that. It's coming to Christ. Hear about him, apply yourself, trust in him, Lay hold on him and lean all your weight on him for salvation. Then he says, that person who comes to me, that man or woman who comes to me, I will not 
cast them out. The Greek word there for cast out is ekbalo. Ekbalo. And this is a variation of that, um, of that phrase. Ekbalo. Ek means out of. When I was trying to learn Greek in seminary, the way I remembered Greek, which is from or out of. It can be from or out of. I thought of one of my, my older two kids uh, when you gave them something they didn't like, and they went, ek, spit it out, ek, out of. That, that was my memory clue. Balo was easier to remember as a memory clue. Balo is I throw, I cast, or I put. Uh, and so balo, I throw a ball. That was my memory clue. Probably a lot of others. It was, I'm, I'm not no, no genius here. I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, remember? So, so I'm not a genius. Actually, sorry, Jimmy. Um, but listen, Ekbalo, he says, I will not cast you out. You come to me, I'm not going to get rid of you. Places where this has been used, uh, the same word, Ekbalo. Matthew 7, 22. Did we not cast out demons in your name? Matthew 9.34, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew 21.39, a parable Jesus told. And Jesus was saying they took this guy and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Uh, Another one, Matthew 9.38, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out or cast out or throw out laborers. That's, and Jesus says, whoever comes to me. I'm the bread of life. I'm all you need, and I'm the only thing you need. There's no alternative out there. I'm all you need, and if you come to me, whoever, whoever, I am not going to cast you out. You just come to me. Eat. God will not say ick and throw you out. Went up to check the mailbox and during certain times of day in front of our road, it's busy. Sometimes it's like so quiet. And, sometimes and so uh, uh, go up to the hill, and rather than go out into the road to get the mail, well, somebody comes flying around that corner, and somebody's coming this way. Um, I'm going to have to dive over the, the guardrail or something. So yeah, I kind of hang on to the post on those times, lean around and pull the mail and get it out. Well, I have my hand on the mailbox, I'm leaning around, and all of a sudden this hand begins to hurt and throb and sting. And I look, and there's a little insect, and it's just biting me. I put my hand on it. And what did I do? Oh, I'm so sorry. I hope you're okay. No, I went... (laughs) God does not look at you when you come to him and go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I can't really use her in my kingdom right now. Can't take her. She's out. I'm throwing her out. I'm smashing her out. God's not saying, no, he's going to be a drain on the resources that I can use somewhere else. No, you come to him. He will not cast you out. He will not react like that. You'll not say you're disqualified because of some past action of yours. Listen, you have been thoroughly vetted by God. I wanted to solve a memory fix, and I said, Oh, Paula, 
here's a show when I was a little kid. Before, before I hero worshipped uh, Jim Rockford, I hero worshipped Joe Mannix. And so we watched Mannix is, is on one of these things, you know, you. And so I said, let's watch Mannix for a while. You know, at least we know it's clean. They're not going to start us out, then throw some anti-Christian thing in there. It's, it's, we know kind of the anti-Christian elements that are there beforehand. And so let's watch Mannix. So some guy, is, he's a senator, and he's going to hire Mannix to vet him because his political opponents will vet him. And so he wants Mannix to find out. And if Mannix can't find it, then he feels like he's home free. And Mannix, of course, starting to find things out, and this guy's killing all these people off and all that. Uh, simple, basic plot from the 60s or 70s, whenever that show came out. I want to tell you something. God knows your secret sins already. He knows, uh, he knows that, that, that he can equip you and what great things he can do for kingdom. He knows the walk and talk that he'll have with you, but he also knows uh, that in your flesh you can't be counted on unless and until he comes on. And you know what he still does? You come to him. He doesn't cast you out. He says, come on, there's a place for you broken people who I love so much. If you come to Christ, he won't cast you out. What's he going to do? He's going to do these four things. He's going to receive you graciously. He's going to pardon you freely. He's going to place you in the family of his dear children who he loves. And he's going to give you everlasting life. And so, Here's a hot tip. Eat this bread. Finally, a saying of Christ about God the Father's will. Verses 39 and 40. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the will of the Father who sent Jesus. That he doesn't lose anyone. That everyone who looks on him lives. We'll revisit where we were maybe two months ago in John, uh, and then we'll get to our, 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 our concluding point. But thinking of looking and live, whoever looks on me, whoever looks on the Son and believes in him, will have eternal life. And this is a throwback. Uh, you know, we're taking this in chunks at a time. If you just sat down and read John, you'd say, oh, two minutes ago I read this. John three fourteen through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And I'm just saying, look and live. Look and live. Look and live. Jesus Christ, that's how you live. You look at Jesus and live. There's no barrier to you right now. You want to look at Christ in faith, nothing can stop you. The last song we were going to sing was written by a blind woman. Uh, We sang a couple of hers. It was Fanny Crosby Day, kind of unofficially. And I was thinking in those days of of looking and living. And her, if you look at her hymns, she says, um, 
Paul talks all about how she's going to see Jesus one day, and there's so much about seeing and sight in there. She was from this part of the country, lived in Danbury for a while, by the way. Um, look and live. Can you be a blind person and look at Jesus and live? Yeah, because we're talking spiritually, right? You turn your eyes on Jesus. You look at him. That's your salvation. There's no barrier to you. But what if you're here and you're hearing this and you go, uh, I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not going to look at and live right now. I don't quite believe you. I, I hear you and I understand the words you're saying, but I'm not quite sure. Um, can you, can you uh, do this sometime in the future? The answer is yes. Now, I grew up in a tradition. I was in a lot of manipulative church services, to a lot of them. The sermon part, I was thinking back on it, the, the, the music leading up in all these services was good. The preaching was really good, but it was the invitation, the every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around part, where things got a little unbiblical in my mind. And I remember somebody saying, listen, if you feel a little tug on your heart right now and you don't respond, uh, this could be your last chance. The Holy Spirit may never visit you again, may never call you again. You better, if you've got a little tug, you better come. Some of you have heard uh, the third time I got immersed, baptized in believer's baptism. It was every head bowed, every, every eye closed, no one looking around. And this guy was tricky. And he said, if you know that you're trusting in Christ for salvation, raise your hand. And you know, I always followed the rules. Even though I was a Jimmy Buffett fan, I followed those rules. I didn't look around. I, I closed my eyes. I didn't peek and see who was doing what. But I could hear the rustling of all these arms going up. And of course I raised mine. Then he says, if you know that you know that you're trusting in Christ, keep your hand up. I didn't hear he didn't say, plug my ears. I didn't hear anybody's hand go down. My hand didn't go down. But then he starts saying, if you know that you know that you know. And I said, oh, if he asks me one more time, if I know that I know that I know that I know that I'm a Christian, I might not be. And sure enough, he went there. And then if your hand was up that you didn't know, no, 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 four times, you better come forward or that's it for you, potentially. I go forward, they take me to a room, I pray a sinner's prayer. They say, all right, your baptisms before didn't count. Now you got to get baptized again. And I got baptized again, and then people came up and they told me how they'd been praying for me all the time and, and, and all that stuff. And, and it's like, I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. The moment you look at Christ, the moment you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, whether it's this morning or whether it's, Three months from now, and, and, and the Holy Spirit puts more uh, verses and, and scriptures, and you think about things. Uh, some people, uh, it just it, it, it takes that time. What did I write before I get way off track here? What if a few months or even years from now you're in a desperate state? All the idols you have tried have left you down. And you remember back to autumn of 23, and that pastor at that Christ the Shepherd Church said, Look at and live. Look at Jesus and live. Will that formula, will those words be true then as now? Yes. You look at Christ and live. You say, this is all just a bunch of garbage, fairy tales. I'm not going to do it now. Well, some of us have done that. 
and we've gotten saved later. But the Bible does say today is the best day to do it if, if, if you're going to do it. Listen, Christ will never allow any soul that is committed to him to be lost and cast away. I will raise him up on the last day. If you die in Christ, you're guaranteed. Trust Christ. He's going to go and spend a lengthy amount of time in Isaiah 55, and I think that wouldn't do service to Isaiah 55. So we're going to, we're going to come back to that next time. Uh, we're going to summarize for this morning. Introduction. God is about life. God is all about life. Life. You take the side of life and not death in all things. And God is about spiritual life. And therefore, we don't even celebrate death when it happens. We celebrate a Christian going to heaven, but we even weep with those who weep that are sad that miss their person here on earth. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I'll receive. And Jesus said, it's God's will that I will raise up whoever comes to me who I receive on the last day. We're going to pray. We're going to go to the Lord's table. We're going to sing that last song about how sweet and awesome is the place. And if you can remember this when we get to that song, that verse 5, just the beckoning and the calling and the praying that God brings people into his kingdom. Uh, Let that sweep over you and control your emotions even when we get there. Let's do this in between till we get there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus, the bread of life. We thank you for the saving work that you've done in so many people, people who were starving, people with bloated spiritual uh, bellies, people that were on the verge of death. And we thank you for the life-giving salvation that came through Jesus Christ. And it's him who we honor. It's him who we run to. It's Jesus who we feed upon. In his name we pray. Amen. For I received from the Lord, the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often.